Good morning. So last week we entered into this story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a Jew who lived in the uh, Persian capital of Susa, and he had a very distinguished position. Um, it might not sound that distinguished, but is a cupbearer to the king. So he had close access to the king of a huge empire, and his role was to bring the king his cup and make sure no one tried to poison the king uh, through uh, the cup, through, through that which he drank. And as Nehemiah was in the capital serving the king, one of his brothers came, this is last week, chapter 1, one of his brothers came from their ancestors' homeland of Jerusalem, in, in the land of Judah, and knew, Nehemiah asked his brother, how are our people? How is our land? How's our, how's our capital city doing? And they said, the people are in great trouble and distress. And the walls of our city, they've been broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. When Nehemiah heard about this, uh, the best way I can describe, I mean, you, you'd have to read chapter one to like get his full response, but the best way I can summarize it is Nehemiah was absolutely broken. He was broken over the brokenness of his people and of God's people. And we saw that because he, he wept and he mourned and he fasted for days. He prayed to the God of heaven. And uh, in that prayer, he confessed his guilt. He confessed the guilt of his people, that they were right in receiving this judgment from God. But he also professed faith that if the people should turn back to God, that God would restore them. And so that set this, sets the stage for today, for our passage today. And so I want just God's word to speak to us first and just to hear this ongoing story uh, from God's word in Nehemiah chapter 2. Uh, Nehemiah writes, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine, I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in the king's presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad? When you're not sick, you're not ill, this can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, can I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that I can have safe travel until I get there? And can I have a letter to Asaph, keep, keeper of the royal park, so that I can have all the supplies, all the, all the timber I need to make beams for the gates of the city, by the temple, for the city wall, and for the residence I'll occupy? Basically, he's asking, can I, can I have all the stuff that I'll need for this project? And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letter. The king also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. 
And by night I went through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up, I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is it that you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, are his, ser- we his servants will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. So that's the story for today. And as we start, I think it's just incredibly, remember, uh, incredibly important that we remember that God is a gracious God who when, when we come to him with our brokenness, when we come to him in humility, God always responds the same way. He gives grace to the humble. God always, when someone approaches him with brokenness, he always offers and gives grace. And so when, when someone, like in this story, is coming to God with their brokenness after Nehemiah did in, in chapter 1, uh, there, he and his people are being met with God's grace. And we see this throughout the Bible, but I just want to highlight a couple of Psalms. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Or Psalm 51 where David writes, The sacrifice that you desire, God, is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, a heart that's willing to change, to leave the error of its own ways and to turn to God's ways. And the reason I want to highlight that at the start is because all of chapter 2 is the way that Nehemiah is responding to the grace that God has shown and is showing him and to God's people. So today we're going to see three responses from Nehemiah, but these are responses to God's grace. This is what Nehemiah is doing because God has been gracious uh, in hearing his, his cry, in hearing about his brokenness and the brokenness of God's people. Nehemiah responds with courage, with intentionality, and uh, missional love is another response that he should have had. But we're going to get there at the end. Uh, Nehemiah's first response uh, to grace was courage. And he, he demonstrates this one really well. Verses 1 through 10 um, is Nehemiah's response of courage. Uh, and we see this when the king asked, uh, why are you so sad, Nehemiah? And Nehemiah says, I was really afraid, but I told the king why I was sad. And we don't live in a time of kings. We don't live in a country ruled by a king. But in Nehemiah's day, the king could do whatever he wanted. So if you entered the king's presence sad, um, you're at the king's mercy. You could be thrown out. Um, your life could be ruined because you, you ruined the king's moment. The king didn't want to be around your sadness. But instead, he, he showed his sadness and he told the king, here's why I'm sad. 
And I think it's important to remember as we're talking about courage, that courage is not the absence of fear. It's not fearlessness, but rather it's, it's a quality of mind that enables men to encounter danger, to encounter difficulties with firmness and with valor, with resolution. Because courage is produced by whatever we're putting our faith in. Whether our faith is in God or in ourselves or in a situation, courage is a derivative of our confidence. It, it comes from whatever we're putting our confidence in. So if, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, it, it would take great courage for you to tell God and, and maybe even more courage for you to tell someone else, hey, I need help. I'm, I'm done doing life my own way. Uh, I need forgiveness. I, I need Jesus. And uh, if you feel like you're asking God for a lot, you are. <laughs> um, but so was Nehemiah. And Nehemiah got even more than he asked for. You know, he asked for the, the supplies. He asked for like a letter so that he could have safe conduct. But look, in, at verse 9, the king also sent with him officers of the army and horsemen, cavalry. And so uh, the king gave Nehemiah more than he asked for. And if you are here today and, and you're not sure where you stand with God, but, but, but you're sure that you don't want to stay where you are and, and you want to follow Jesus, it, it's real simple. Just turn away from living life your way and commit, God, I, I need Jesus. I want to follow him as my Lord and Savior. And uh, you're going to get a lot more than you asked for um, because you're going to get God himself in, 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 in perfect relationship. Not, not that you'll become perfect, but you'll become perfect in God's eyes because Christ will have made you perfect uh, before God. So we, we don't get... Uh, everything that we want as a Christian, but God gives us everything we need to be successful in his eyes. Uh, everything that he wants for us, we, we get, and that's what's very best for us. Uh, and at the same time that we, we receive this incredible grace from God uh, and we get so much more than we deserve, so much more than we ask for, we also know that there's going to be opposition. And we see this in verse 10 with uh, Sanballat and Tobiah. These are these are leaders of surrounding peoples around the Israelites. And, and, and so they weren't happy that like their neighbor is about to become stronger. Uh, and, and so it was displeasing to them that Nehemiah had come to, to, to build up the welfare of God's people, Israel. Um, but I think we should always be of good courage because we know that the devil is also displeased when people are, are seeking God. So, so Nehemiah's response to grace was responding with courage. And I just kind of wanted to ask the question, what would it look like if we responded to God's grace that's still available to us today? Uh, what, what would it look like if we responded to grace with courage? I think it would look like God using us to restore brokenness together. I think it would look like broken families being healed, addicts, getting clean. I think it would look like uh, weak boys who can shave becoming tough, loving men who lead. I think it would look like those who lack courage would actually be become people who pour out courage, who encourage others. It would look like people being changed, one individual at a time, one family at a time. So I, I just want to invite you to believe, because I, I do believe this is true, God's grace is available and grace leads to transformation. 
If we respond to grace with courage, God will use us together to restore brokenness. The second response to God's grace that Nehemiah showed was intentionality. And we see this in verses 11 to, 11 to 18. Um, intentionality, when, when I think about that word, I don't know if this is the best definition, but this is mine, so you'll get it. Uh, Dave Ramsey, he's a famous financial uh, advice giver, and he says about a budget, a budget is telling your money where you want it to go instead of wondering where your money went. And when I think about intentionality, I think it's telling your life where to go instead of wondering, where did my life, where did it go? <laughs> so a schedule, an intentional life, it's, it's telling your time where to go. Uh, it's, it's living life on purpose and not just stumbling into accident after accident. Um, and we see Nehemiah doing this in verses 11 through 16. And this is when he, he went to Jerusalem and then he went out at night to like survey the city. He was making plans. He was, he was surveying, okay, how bad is the work that we're about to engage in? And I think it was probably worse than he imagined because he brought a mount, he, he brought a horse, but the horse couldn't get through everywhere he wanted to go. If you remember, like in the midpoint of this text, he went up somewhere, but then his horse couldn't get through, so he had to go back down. And uh, so all that to say, intentionality, I mean, it doesn't mean that your plan uh, keeps you from being overwhelmed or that uh, everything is as you imagine it to go. Uh, I, I just think... intentional living is necessary in order to respond to grace appropriately and and, and make the most of the grace that God is offering to us in Christ. And he does this alone with a few people at night to kind of shore up his own conviction, his own resolution. And then he invites other people into an intentional intentional living, an, an intentional project. And we see this together aspect of intentionality in verses 17 to 18, uh, where he states the problem. Here's the, here's the problem. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned. So here's the solution, the plan. Let's rebuild it together and we'll no longer be in disgrace. And oh, by the way, God is behind this because of what he did with the king. He gave me favor in the eyes of the king. And so the people are convinced, hey, let's, let's do this together. And so Again, I just, I just want us to think about what would happen if we responded to grace with intentionality? What would happen if instead of saying, yeah, it's, it's awesome that uh, Jesus saved me, that he died on the cross for my sins, that he was resurrected to new life and that he's coming back, um, so what? <laughs> so what on my everyday life? So what with how I raise my kids or how I go about my work? But instead we say, no, that grace actually has impact on every area of my life. That intentionally, I need to pursue understanding my suffering. Intentionally, I need to pursue loving other people as a response to the grace that God has shown me. Again, I think if we responded to grace with intentionality, God would use us in ways that we can't fathom right now to restore brokenness. That's the theme of Nehemiah, restoring brokenness together. And the third response uh, to grace, which Nehemiah does not demonstrate well, <laughs> is missional love. In verses 19 and 20, these opponents 
who Nehemiah kind of mentions in verse 10, they, they start exercising their opposition. And uh, Nehemiah says, when, when they start ridiculing and mocking, Nehemiah just snaps back at them. He says, you have no right to this land. You have no part of us. We are God's servants. We're going to do the work. Um, basically, good riddance. And uh, I think there is a time to directly oppose, confront, and stand up to evil men. But I think normally it's not at the first offense. Um, I think there's a time to create boundaries, you know, for abusive relationships and, and that, you know, you need to distance yourselves from people. Absolutely. But the, that's the exception. The Christian rule of life is very clear. It's, it's, it's to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. Jesus said, if you only love those who love you, aren't, isn't everybody doing that? Like the tax collectors, isn't everybody loving those who love them? But instead we should pray for those who, who dislike us. And uh, so Nehemiah, I think his response, honestly, if we just look at his response at face value, he's, pl- he's just flat out wrong. Because the foundation of God's people like the, the Jews, the Israelites, they were called out by God in grace. It was Abraham who was the father of the Jews. He, he, they, were, they looked at Abraham as the father of their faith. And Abraham was just a man who God called out of Ur and set him apart in order to, get this, in order to bless all people. So when Isaiah 49 says, I have a greater task for you, my servant, not only will you restore greatness to the people of Israel, That sounds like what Nehemiah was trying to do. Restore the city, restore greatness to the people of Israel, but I'll also make you a light to the nations so that all the world may be saved. Nehemiah did not get that second part. The bottom line of of this missional love piece is that God's plan for his people is not us versus them. It's us realizing that it's only God's grace that has called us out of the world. It's only his favor that's allowed us to be us with him versus them against God. Or or you can look at Romans 5. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies of God, opposed to him, Christ died for us. So, in thinking about all this and how we, we need to respond to grace with courage and intentionality and missional love, I was reminded this week that our vision, it's got to be bigger than like getting the wall back up. Nehemiah's vision, I think at this point, was a little bit too narrow. His vision was get the wall back up, get the wall back up. But the story of Nehemiah is not over when the wall's back up. So, just think about your own life, life vision. Maybe it's raising your kids really well, or it's, it's uh, developing a business that you can grow, um, you know, and just kind of put your stamp on. Um, wh- whatever your life vision is, whatever gets you up in the morning and keeps you going when you're tired, it's got to be more than getting the wall back up. It's, it's got to be more than just being a stay-at-home mom. It's got to be more than just being a businessman or a teacher or a medical professional or enjoying your retirement. 
Our vision has got to be greater than restoring greatness to ourselves or to our people. It's got to be tied in with God's vision for the world. And, and, And this is a hard question to ask, but I think it's the right question. It's, God, what is your vision for my life? And it's, it's got to be more than being a pastor. It's got to be more than being a part of a small group. It's, it's just got to be more. It's got to be about loving God and enjoying him in all of life. It's got to be about being changed into the likeness of Jesus, no matter where you find yourself in your current life situation. So if, if our response to grace was missional love, uh, what do you think God would do? How do you think God would move? I believe that God would use us greatly. And it might not seem great. It might not be written about in the history books. But it's so, so practical to look at our lives and say, what is, what is my response to the grace of God? What is my response to this, this love that I've been given in Christ? So I just want to encourage you today to, to remember that God is pouring out grace. Grace is always available to you, whether you feel like you've messed up a thousand times since yesterday, or whether you feel like, frankly, you're pretty good. Uh, we all need grace, and we all need to respond to grace. And I think that courage, intentionality, and missional love are appropriate responses uh, to grace.